Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 21, verses 29 through 31. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. It is good to be with you, church family, on this first Sunday of Advent. I am... uh, I'm hoping that you had a great week, but I feel some of the same pressure that I feel whenever we have a day like Mother's Day or Father's Day. I know that Mother's Day is difficult for some folks. I know that Father's Day, for various and sundry reasons, might be very difficult for some folks. And as we have this discussion now about home, and as we reflect on the week that was and and live in anticipation for what will be, it's very possible that there are people in the room who ache for a home that they, for whatever reason, cannot have. Maybe you lost somebody this year. Maybe there was a fracture that keeps it from being home like you want it to be. I don't know why it is that you may not be able to experience home the way I'm going to talk about it for for four weeks, actually six weeks as we move into the Christmas season as well. But I want you to know I hear you and I see you. I have heard from some of you who can't have the home experience that so many others of us get to have. And yet you still feel that ache, right? I, I think that's part of the, the, the divine design. I think we are created to ache for home, to need home, to gravitate, to be oriented by home, like Kaylee was saying earlier. I mean, everybody knows it. They, we even say it in a song, there's no place like home for the holidays, right? Because no matter how far away you roam, if you want to be happy in a million ways, that's a lot of ways. For the holidays, you can't be home sweet home. Like I say, I think we are meant for home. It's a God thing. It's a God intended thing. It's a God intended as part of the eternal creative design thing. I mean, let's think about it in terms of the largest chapters in our story. In creation, God creates a home called good and ultimately very good. But humanity on a regular basis puts that home at risk and finally God in the incarnation of Christ, moves into the neighborhood in the hopes of bringing a new and restorative order back to this place we know as home. And even then, we continue to find ways to resist this king and this kingdom, and ultimately to our own destruction, we have demonstrated the capacity to bring chaos and disorder in a million ways, putting home, or maybe we'll call it now just life, at risk on a regular, and some would say on an increasing basis. Even so, we haven't lost and we don't lose the restoring presence of our new king. 
By his spirit, each year during Advent, we tell and retell the stories of the king's coming in order to do two very important things. First, we move toward a moment of huge, big, loud celebration on Christmas Day and then throughout the Christmas season. We have much to celebrate, and that celebration shapes us to be people of gratitude and response. But second, in our Advent storytelling, we remind ourselves that things aren't quite right just yet. Things aren't completed just yet. And that there will be a moment when God will, in fact, finish what God started, complete creation, and make God's permanent home here with us. This is how it's said so beautifully in the book of Revelation. See, the home of God is among us. God will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have now all passed away. So God has in mind, yes, that we would understand this to be the now and not yet home designed by God. Here we are in the now and in the not yet, trying to live out our faithfulness and gratitude while still being pressed, while still being intimidated, while still being frightened and perhaps at times even intoxicated by the competing kings and kingdoms and queens and queendoms and all of the other various, without our permission, sorts of entities that move us toward an amnesia that puts us on a slippery path of destruction if we aren't careful to remember, to remember. Advent, like so many other seasons organized by the Christian calendar, is a season set aside to help us to do just that, to remember, to celebrate what we have in Christ, but also to wait faithfully and patiently and intentionally for what God has in store. And what we have, even now, is a home. It's a created order. It's a life, yes, still under construction. And it is our Christian conviction that what God has in store is the completion of that home or of that life, that way to be restored and now renovated home today and tomorrow, I'm telling you, is closer than we might think. And so I hope, we hope, that you'll join us for this four-week journey of four weeks to build back our resistance <laughs> to the competing voices. Four weeks to learn all over again how to wait well. Four weeks to build toward the big celebration. But you know this, right? This Advent thing is not new and not original to OKC First. We actually belong to a large family, not just Nazarenes. Lots of people in the whole Christian, and what we call Christendom, and the entire Christian kingdom who do this Advent thing, who use an Advent wreath. Now, this Advent wreath was actually constructed by the white ninja himself, Walt Crow. And a lot of times you will see these similar features of an Advent wreath. It's circular. It's circular to communicate eternity. There is an unendingness to this king and this kingdom's reign. A lot of times you'll see greenery around. That is also speaking of the possibility and the reality of new life, greenery. And then you'll have candles. Each of these candles, supposed to at least, focus our attention on the theme. Each week in Advent has a theme. And today that theme is hope. I think I said peace earlier. It's actually hope. I promise it's hope. We light this candle. 
because we understand that during this week of Advent, we are still people of hope and expectation that God will in fact complete what God has started, even if there is evidence to the contrary out there that our eyes see all the time on cable news networks and all God's people said. Well, that was weak, but let's go. Let's do it anyway. And so that brings us to Luke chapter 21. It's a tough chapter. As are the other passages that sound like Luke 21 in the other Gospels. It sounds like an end-of-the-world scenario. And if Christians like anything, it's a good end-of-the-world scenario. Why is that? Why do we gravitate toward movies like, well, all those that talk about end-of-the-world scenarios? What is it about Christians that seems to want to escape? I'm going to say it now, and I'll say it again later. Escapism is not the friend of Christianity. That is not a Christian posture. To seek to escape, to leave all of this here so that God can finally burn it up, so that God can take all of the good people somewhere else, that is not a Christian hope. Would you see that? Escapism is not a Christian undertaking. Right? If you have many of the Left Behind books, I hope you don't feel judged right now. A little bit, maybe. A little bit. <laughs> but that's not a Christian hope. Escapism is not a Christian hope. Whether you're talking about the giant end of the world scenario, or if you're just talking about being that person who just refuses to see the ugliness and the, and the stuff all around, that's, that's not a Christian posture either. The Christians in the room are the ones who can, with clear eyes, see the ugliness that's all around, whether that be the disease in your own family, the fracture in your own family, the fracture in the larger society. The Christians in the rooms uh, they aren't the people who are going to say, no, don't look over there, none of that, it's all ugly, don't see it, don't even look at it. The Christians in the rooms are the people who are saying, no, we have to look at it. We have to somehow figure out a way to embrace it so that we can get on all of that situation, the Christian hope that is actually unique and peculiar to us as Christians. We don't run from these issues, we face them with great hope and expectation. Luke 21 it's exactly one of those kinds of texts. But it actually wasn't written for us, at least not in the first instance. We aren't the original intended audience. Matter of fact, Luke was written after Rome's conquest of Jerusalem and the temple destruction, which changed everything, and I mean everything, and sent people running into the hills for protection. Now, was God defeated when Rome came in and tore up Jerusalem and tore down the temple? Was God somehow defeated? Was the kingdom dream now at an end? No, but let's acknowledge that things were very different. Very, very different. Faith would now look different and maybe with a little help to see it, might even look a little better, a little more permanent, more far-reaching and widespread. And I would submit to you that this is another one of those texts that we don't allow to speak on its own terms. We tend to read into this text our own ideas of the end, tribulation, escape. 
but it's not here. And when we insist that it is, we miss the point of the text, and by the way, perhaps the point of the sermon. Stay in the room, though. This isn't, this passage isn't about the big bad thing that will happen sometime in the future. Again, as we have said around here for years, this passage talks about events that happened in the past, including dynamics that will cause similar events in the future, including these same dynamics that are present today causing similar things to happen right now. But it is not about what will happen. It's about really what happens all the time. And yet, there is hope. There is Advent hope. There is Christian hope. And we, during Advent, need to remember the necessity that we would practice the right response, the right posture in the face of intimidating present dynamics in your household, in your city, state, nation, in the world. There is hope. That hope, first of all, is in the character of the God who does not leave us or forsake us. The king in the kingdom is always closer than we might think. But let's get into this strange passage. Next slide, Chris. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves, and people will faint. Literally, the, the word here means kind of like stop breathing from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And you bet. There's lots of scary things out there for them. It was the Roman Empire that we knew was coming to tear everything up. For us, there are still scary elements out there, and we should actually, with clear eyes, see it all. Things are pretty scary out there if you aren't hiding your eyes. Now, you may look at this and say, is this about climate change? Mm, now, see, some of your teeth are already on edge. Do not get political. <laughs> Maybe. Now, this is poetic, apocalyptic, artistic language, and it may not have climate change specifically in mind, but if not, perhaps that should be at least part of our concern. But we have concerns beyond that, right? Even here in our developed country, the partisan polarization can be frightening, and I'm always asking myself the question, are we headed toward violence? As the argument about race and reconciliation rages on, are we headed toward more violence? As the gap widens between the haves and the have-nots, are we headed toward even more violence? And don't we all hear folks, much of the time religious, it's religious rapture folks telling us that things are gonna go from bad to worse, causing hearts to faint? Maybe it's fear that makes escape seem like a pretty good idea. But these darkest hours aren't supposed to trigger a Christian sense of escape. They are, when hope is still engaged, reasons to believe that help is soon on the way. The darkest hour means dawn can't be far away. This is the very next verse. Then, when all of that stuff is seen, when all of that stuff that's so scary is seen, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. You know what it doesn't say? Run. You know what it doesn't say? Escape. 
You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say kind of close down so that nothing else can hurt you. No. You know what this says? When things get that kind of bad, like bad enough that it's like shaking the entire cosmos, the entire creation, when things get that kind of bad, here's what you can know for sure. You better watch out because God's on the way. In a good way. In a good way. But is that your deeply seated Christian conviction or are you, like so many of us, sort of wired to believe that things are getting bad, going to worse? There's going to be destruction, so it just makes sense to escape. Don't bury your head. Lift your head. <laughs> but in this posture, this posture is not about escape. It's a hopeful expectation that, sure enough, help must be on the way, God being who God is. So stand up, get ready, make ready. As we have said before about Advent, we are in fact waiting, we sing it even, but we are not just waiting while being still, we are waiting actively, making preparations, making room for the king. This text is not about the end of the world scenarios that make you want to run for the hills. This text is about difficult life circumstances that should Encourage us and motivate us to prepare for the coming of our rescuing king. Verse 29. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already new, but is already near. But hopefully, that kind of knowledge isn't limited to trees. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I want to ask us again, where does that pension for escape come from? Where does it come from? I have a very good friend who perhaps is, is on to something. Uh, he has said, I'm just not going to watch the news at all. I'm not going to watch the news at all. He may be on to something there. Now, I don't think he's saying, and I'm not saying as I repeat what he said, that somehow ignorance is of the issues out there is somehow Christian. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is we dare not let somebody else tell us how to think about everything. <laughs> right? <laughs> In fact, what I'm saying and what I think he believes as well is this. Yeah, there's some ugly stuff in the world. And where are you going to get your marching orders to know how to take the right posture and how to move against it? From MSNBC, from Fox, or from Jesus? I think some of the escapism comes when people listen to the wrong voices that they allow to interpret all the ugliness out there. And if you're going to listen to the wrong voices, interpret all the ugliness out there, you are going to be, uh, you're going to take up the wrong posture. No way around it. You're going to. So am I. Verse 32, truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation, which means to kind of squander all of your resources because you feel like there's not going to be a tomorrow anyway. And drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the earth. Instead, be alert at all times. Praying that you may have the strength to escape all of these things, these temptations to run, these temptations to fold, 
these temptations to be intimidated and intoxicated. Pray that you would have the strength to escape all of these things that will take place and then to stand before the Son of Man. The things that frighten or intimidate shouldn't be allowed to change our identity or our peculiar posture as Christians. Say it again. Escapism has never been the friend of Christianity. Never. There is nothing about rapture here, everyone. Don't be weighed down with drunkenness or dissipation. We, Christians, we're the ones who are in the room waiting prayerfully, diligently, with the greatest of expectations. We wait in hope that God will continue to make this life home for all of us. In a smaller sort of way, and it's a story we tell around here a lot, I hope that you can see something of this message in the church's decision to stay here and not move somewhere else where the neighborhoods are so new that they don't have problems yet. Right? That is an escapist mentality. It's not that we didn't know that there were things here. In fact, we did know that there were some struggles here. We studied to know what those struggles would be, and then we organized for them. In some sense, you could say, we waited diligently on God to work in and through us. It's the reason we are still here at 4400 Northwest Expressway. You recognize this logo? You ever seen these around? Two brothers started this little business, this little t-shirt shop, and they weren't selling any (laughs) t-shirts. In fact, by their own admission, they were living out of their van, living on peanut butter and jelly. They were going to starve to death. They got so desperate. This is desperate. They went to college campuses and went to boys' dormitories and went door-to-door trying to sell t-shirts, and they were starving to death. But they had the answer back in their own apartment. Back on their apartment, they just had a simple phrase, life is good. Now, uh, these two guys, their names are Bert and John Jacobs. They created another character, the top left-hand picture there. That is their little cartoon character. That's Jake. He's always smiling just like that. Life is good. They decided that that would be kind of their mantra. Life is good. Now, before I play you this little video that explains who they are and what they do, I want to ask us again. Is this our Christian posture? Now, it's a weird time to ask it. 20 months into a pandemic, lots of things, as you've already heard today, lots of things have changed. I have already heard from so many of you who are struggling with issues in your own household. Maybe you're struggling with issues that kind of occur between households. There are issues out there, we can see them in the streets. Again, we can see them on the screens. What is our conviction about life? Is it it possible that God meant it when God said that creation was good, good, and very good? Or Or is God wrong? Is God wrong about that? And are things so bad, and are they getting worse such that it would make some sense to try to have an exit strategy one way or another? I'm asking you a question, though it may not sound like it. I'm asking you a question about Advent. Advent. I'm asking you a question also about what you believe to be true about God and the nature and the character of God. 
If God is trustworthy and God says that creation and life, this home is good, then how should that order our steps? It doesn't mean that we don't report on the terrible things that happen. It doesn't mean that we bury our heads in the sand. It doesn't mean that we don't organize to try to right some of the wrongs that happen out there. We do, we do. But we do all of that based on our confidence and conviction that God is with us, moving everything toward home in the best sorts of ways. These two guys have challenged me this week. I'm asking myself, do I believe as deeply as they do that life is good? Every morning, all of us wake up with a choice to focus on what's wrong in our lives or what's right in our lives. And optimism can take you anywhere. Like most people, when we got out of college, we really had no idea what we were going to do, but both John and I were interested in doing something artistic. In other words, avoid getting a real job. So we designed a few shirts and we got out on the streets of Boston and just started hawking them wherever there was foot traffic. About a year in, we bought a used van called the Enterprise. We told each other we would boldly go where no t-shirt guys had gone before. One day, we had this conversation about how the media inundates us with negative information. And we wondered if we could create a rallying cry for optimists. Three simple words, life is good. We printed up our first Life is Good t-shirts and we took them to a street fair. We sold 48 t-shirts in 45 minutes. It was like, wow, this is what we've been hoping for all those years, and it was instantaneous. We realized we just gotta open up and listen to people, what they love to do. Swimming, hiking, hanging out with your family, going on road trips, adventures. Let's celebrate these things together. Meanwhile, something way more significant starts to happen. We start getting letters from people going through great adversity, people losing loved ones, people battling cancer. Realizing that we were actually helping people get through these difficult times, it gave our whole brand a deeper meaning and a deeper purpose. 10% of our net profits, no matter what, go to the Kids Foundation. Kids are the ultimate optimists, and we realize there's a lot of kids dealing with poverty, violence, illness, circumstances way beyond their control. So we created the Life's Good Kids Foundation to help kids heal from various forms of trauma so that they can discover the power of optimism. We're really just getting warmed up. It's taken us over 20 years to get here, but we've got a great brand and we've got a great community. They co-write the story with us every day. We're still talking about gratitude and courage and simplicity. The message is the same. The values are the same. Can you make the shift to focus on gratitude. That's what optimism is all about. It's not that everything is always great. Life is not easy. Life is not perfect, but life is good. John, it's a Sunday morning. Certainly you vetted this to make sure that these are Christian people. I did not. I don't know that they are Christian. I don't know that I care. What I do care about what I do care about is this, that we as Christian people, if they are convicted about it as Christian people, and they very well could be Christian, but if they're not, man, those of us who know the King, 
Emmanuel. Those of us who know what it is that God wants to do and to be, those of us who know how God wants to design not only creation but us, we should be the ones selling the life as good t-shirts. Amen? And if, them, if they can sell these things and help more people to understand something about life, then so be it. So be it. How about this? As your pastor, let me say this. Because God is good, I think I can say to a people who are hurting for various and sundry reasons, I, can say, I think I can say to people who are frightened, perhaps intimidated, because God is good, life is good. No, things aren't yet where we want them to be, where we need for them to be. That's what Advent's about. Advent helps us to recognize that we have a role to play as we wait, as we wait diligently and intentionally. We have a role to play as we take our places to be the people who can help and partner with God to move everything toward God's intended purposes and dream for all of it so that we can say even louder and louder and louder, life is good. And life is good because it starts in the heart of a very good God which we celebrate each week here around the table. If you are helping us today, please get ready. Now, church, we are headed back to intention today. Now, some of you may not be comfortable taking communion by intention. And I want you to hear me say this, that is absolutely fine. If you would prefer to take intention as we have been taking it for the last, oh, 20 some odd months or so, there are people that Larry Bennett has some some uh, communion elements in the back, and those are always going to be available to you. I'm going to go ahead and bless it and do everything up here so that once you take, take by intention up here or whether or not you go back there and take, you can kind of just take it right then and there. You'll notice everybody is sanitizing their hands. Something else you're gonna notice about today. Now we're just kind of, again, playing this by ear. I'm sort of out of rhythm and out of practice here, so just bear with me a little bit. You're gonna be dismissed by rows to come down if you like, if you would like, so that there's not a big log jam down front. And so, Heavenly Father, as disjointed this may feel today, remind us what's going on here with this little piece of bread and this cup. Remind us that we are being reoriented to why it is that life is good, Ultimately, it's because you are good. And we remember that you are good when we remember and rehearse this particular story of love, sacrificial love, self-emptying love that is given to us as grace. And our hope, God, is with this bread and with this cup that you will remind us again that we are recipients of this grace so that we can be shaped by this grace and then further and communicate this grace. So in a moment, when someone comes to dismiss you by row, you'll come down front. And if you would, come down front with your hands cupped. When you get down front, you'll be given a piece of bread. Now the bread's already been broken up. We don't have to break it up anymore. And then it's pretty big pieces. And, and you'll notice that it's pretty big pieces. And that's so that you can just kind of dip it into the, please don't go knuckles deep into the cup, okay? <laughs> just dip it into the cup when you get a chance and then take and eat right then and there. And then you can head back to your seat.
to pray. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. The same way later, he took the cup and he held it up before them, saying, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. And today I would add this, and remember that because God is good, life is good. Home is closer than you think. All right, and remember, you are welcome to not participate. You are welcome to come forward to receive these elements, and you're welcome to go to the back and receive the other elements from Larry Bennett in the back if you prefer the prepackaged, and all of that fits today. Okay, ushers, if you would, start to have people come down by row if they would like.
done this for years and we've not done it for 20 some odd months and that time I forgot how powerful this is Heavenly Father thank you for these moments around the table and now God we will take some time to confess that perhaps we still need to root out some of that escapism that's taken up residence within our minds and hearts that comes when we are listening to other people for interpretation, the signs of the times. So hear us now, God, as we confess that perhaps we have forgotten that life is good, that you are good. free church to list for God the things that are frightening, the things that are intimidating, the situations that you are bringing back to God right now. God, in your grace, you receive us frightened and all, intimidated and all. God, in your grace, you still choose us. Hear that, church, in the words of this prayer before I turn it over to Jason. Now may the Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Let's continue in this posture of prayer and response. And in these moments of intercession, I'm sure even now God is bringing to your mind the person in your life who you know needs God the most. And as that person pops into your mind's eye, would you offer a prayer for them now? I believe God can be at work in this moment and whatever name or picture of a person has popped into your head, that's who God wants you to be praying for in these moments. So as you listen and pray, we as a congregation bring all of these names and faces to God asking God that you would care for those that we love the most who need you the most. God, we ask that you would come alongside of a few folk who really need you. We ask for your continued help and care and healing in the life of McKinley Green, the granddaughter of Steve and Elaine Green. God, we ask that you would come alongside Glenn and Betty Fain and all the Fain family. Be close to them today, God. God, we ask that you would continue in the healing and ask for the God, you would heal these names I'm about to list who have cancer in their lives. And God, we just ask for your healing and for your blessing, for your comfort, for these individuals and their loved ones and families, including Dennis Bratcher, Angela Adams, 
Carolyn Fielding, Margaret Farmer, Scott Peterson, and Bonnie Goodwin. God, in these moments, we ask that you would be with those who are incarcerated. God, those who um, are lonely, that could be the same thing there. God, we ask that you'd be with those who are without homes. As Pastor John has led us this sermon series about home being closer than you think, we ask God for those who have a difficult home life and God who have a home life that's different than they would have imagined. God, we ask for your comfort, your steadiness, your love, your grace, your peace, and God, today's Advent theme, your hope in our lives. God, would you transform us by the power of your spirit. Each and every week we pray this prayer. In church, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer will be on the screen in front of you, whether you're here with us or whether you are watching at home. And it kind of is with you on the screen. But if not, hopefully it's with you in your heart. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.